0: y'all. We're Salt Lime Time back again with our last long-form spooky story sesh. I'm Jess Nani, and I'm joined by my
1: spine-chilling co-host, Allison oh. Hillman. <laughs> Thank you. Considering how absolutely terrified I am right now, I appreciate the fact that I still have some edge to me.
0: I mean, so. I was just going to ask you if you're ready to get scared once again, but it sounds like you're um, already there.
1: I'm very <laughs> unwell at the moment, but yes, I, I am ready. Um uh. I'm I most I'm mostly the one that did this to us. This is partially my fault, so I have no one to blame but myself. Um, I feel like you have been scared since we started talking about this two days ago. So Yes, because something happened, Jess. I had an experience. Oh, my God. Okay, well, before,
0: before we dive into the experiences, I think that we probably each need a cocktail in hand. I have
1: mine. Allison, what are you drinking today? I have mine, too. I need to go finish it off, so I'm going to go... Escape for one second and finish it so I can show it to you in all its glory. Cannot wait. Here I am back. Fun! A little <laughs> ASMR for the pod. I have a dry ice cocktail called The Witch's Brew. It is bright green. Some dry ice in there. Um, if I, I wish I had a martini glass. It would look so good, but I don't drink martinis. They They taste like floor cleaner. So here Truly. we are, but... Here, I love this. it. Sounds like a little video game, <laughs> isn't that? Oh, it does. Okay, that's, so that's mine. Bright green witches, bro, Jess. What's yours? Um,
0: mine is something that I'm calling a carcass's cosmopolitan. It Ooh. is a cosmopolitan that I attempted to dye green, but instead ended up blue. <laughs>
1: this works this is good now we have separate ones
0: so i did try to go green it did not work because i'm using blue gin it was just it was doomed from the beginning (laughs) okay allison are you gonna tell me your experience that you've referenced now
1: or Uh okay yeah just all right. Here's the thing. It was it so me. hard not telling you. And I understand how you feel now because like all I wanted to do was tell you. So the other day, um, a Saturday night. I get home from work late and I get into the shower and I'm listening to a podcast on the subject that I will be covering today, like a spooky episode of a Podcast, and Mm -hmm. I don't know why the fuck I was doing that at night. That's I broke my one rule, which is don't watch or listen to scary things in the basement. Mm -hmm. I broke that rule, and I was listening to it while I was in the shower because I do that. And my cat, being clingy as he is, was in the bathroom with me because if he's not in the bathroom while I'm showering, like he freaks out. So we were both in the bathroom. It was late at night. The house was quiet. Everybody else was resting. I start to, like, put shampoo in my hair so I could not be more vulnerable. And I hear someone pounds on the bathroom door. Just one big, like, bam. It was so loud. And I, like, was like, holy shit. So I, like, turn off the water and I have fucking shampoo running in my eyes. And I look at Rue because I thought Rue had, like, fallen off of something and hit the door. But he was, like, crouched down, like, looking at the door like, what the fuck was that? Like, we were both like, what the fuck was that? And it obviously wasn't him because, like, when it is him and he does stuff like that, he just tries Mm -hmm. to recover by, like, acting like, what? That wasn't me. But he was like, what was that? So I literally immediately was, like, called out because I thought, I was like, what if it's my mom? What if she can, like, hear the podcast I'm listening to? And so I, like, turned it off and was, like, called out, like, mom? Like, mom, is that you? And, of course, silence. Like, she didn't answer. And that's not something like her. That's not something that she would do. She's not aggressive like that at all. And then once I realized it wasn't her and I realized it wasn't any of the other doors in the house closing because it, like, was the bathroom door, I was, like, I immediately, like, put my hand on my hip and started wagging my finger in the air, like, uh-uh, oh, no, you have to get the fuck, you're absolutely not, absolutely not. And I started, like, but then I also immediately, like, launched into <laughs> our father wart <weren't> in heaven, <laughs> like, be thy name Just, like, sir- Like, the second something scary happens, I am a born-again Christian. It's so funny. And I started, like, fucking praying. And then after I got out, I, like, finished the shower and I was like, I'm not going to be afraid because I'm a badder bitch than that. And Rue wasn't, like, really freaking out that much. So... I, like, obviously all the lights were on in the hallway. I walk back to my room and I'm like, great, I'm going to sage. And I was playing YouTube videos of prayers to Archangel Michael. Like, I was, like, playing them on repeat of people, like, praying to him specifically. As I was going around, saging. and Rue was just following me around. And I remember being like, I was like, I'm so in power. I'm so in control. You're not welcome here. And and then I finished and I was like, great. And I, I had set a little dish on the same table that my drink is on right now in the hallway. Did you just hear that? What the fuck just creaked? <laughs> my What the fuck just creaked? But something opened and it wasn't my door. <laughs> Jess, it your mom? shit myself. Is it your mom? Mom? Oh, mom, did you just open something? I open the door. Did it creak? A it might have been rude. <laughs> <sighs> it might have been rude. Sorry, I was telling Jess my ghost story and then we heard a creaking door. But it was like, a, like I don't know. It didn't. It sounded like it could have been the guest room door. Okay, great. So we're gonna say it was Rue. <laughs>
0: oh my god! Go get your, go get your crystal. It's gonna be okay. Allison has flashed her ass at me no less than six times since this has started happening. So she's having, like, a terrifying paranormal experience, and I am just, like, full frontal, ass out. <laughs> getting getting my own peep show here.
1: God damn it! all of my good crystals are still in storage.
0: Dude, this is issue number one. You gotta go get the crystal box out of storage. It's dark
1: outside.
0: And I'm not saying right now, I'm just saying. Yeah,
1: <laughs> no, you're right okay i know
0: i know we're trying not hard to not fully unpack but there are some things that might be worth unpacking i don't know
1: okay the best i could do is this geode
0: yeah Um, there you go it's just like a grounding force i've got mine okay all right now she's holding a stick
1: no it's sage and a lighter and i am just gonna have this here to burn (laughs) immediately if i need to so you know, I grew up in a haunted house. You think I'd be like better at dealing with these things, but I'm <laughs> really not. Okay. Ahem. So, as I was saying before, a fucking door creaked open. And we're pretty sure it's my cat, but he—if uh... If it is—he's grounded forever. <sighs> After saging, <laughs> I was like, "Okay, great." I like put a dish on the table in the hallway, and I was like, "It's—it's it's a kind of a small table and." It's just at the height where, like, Rue could reach up and pull it off with his paws. So I'm not sure what happened, but the second I sat down to pee, I hear that dish slide off the table and shatter in the hallway. And again, I am, like, midstream, and I can't stop, so I, like, fire hose and get that out of there as fast as I can and, like, fucking duck walk out the bathroom door into the hallway and, like... It was just this, like, pile of, like, broken glass, and then, like, Rue was kind of, like, standing by it, like, sniffing it. So, like, it's entirely possible that he could have pulled it off, but it's also possible that the thing that pounded on the bathroom door could have done it. So, either way, I'm not entertaining that thought. It was my cat. We're just going to say that. And, um, yeah, it wasn't wasn't great. And then I, I still had to keep researching What I was doing but I made sure to only do that upstairs and during the day that's probably good
0: wow Allison um hate that for you we're gonna blame it on Rue because that feels safe um but hopefully once the story is done you can just close that chapter in
1: your house yeah so I'm so stressed I just put on my Apple watch so I can like track my my heart rate throughout this episode Okay, my heart rate is 104 right now. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. All right, well, should we just start?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Okay. (sighs) Allison. Yeah?
0: I'm so excited to be going first this week. Yeah? And an uncharacteristic move for me. I actually went and leaned into the scary. (laughs)
1: oh well thank god for that like (laughs) that's what i want right now truly scary there are no fun staircases no silly shark
0: ghosts i went for a truly terrifying tale
1: great so be proud of me what i am a little proud of you (laughs) you are shattering stereotypes i am all right are you ready yeah fabulous
0: (laughs) this week (laughs) I am going to be tickling your fancy with the horrid tale of the bloody Mackenzie poltergeist from Edinburgh, Scotland. Ah!
1: (laughs) As soon as you said you were doing something not in this country, I was like, I know this bitch is doing something (laughs) because Jess, you do the thing where you like tell your stories in a way that you know that I'm going to enjoy them. Whereas like, I do things that are like completely selfish and terrifying, but, like, you're like, let's do something that she will like. It's so scary, but it's Scottish, and it's Mackenzie, Mm -hmm. and it's, like, very, very sweet of you. So, thank you for doing this. I'm very excited to hear. Uh, Do you know who this is? Are you familiar with this poltergeist? I am am familiar. I don't know much about what it does. I did go to Edinburgh Castle when I was in Scotland, but I didn't go inside, but it looked really cool. So, and I have heard of it. Fabulous. It is not in the castle, but
0: roughly nearby, so... Very exciting. <laughs> I thought that you, I thought you'd like this one. No, so, I, I am. I do. My sources are several articles from Wikipedia about the general geography of Edinburgh because I've never been there, and they were very helpful. So thank you to Wikipedia.
1: Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, my cat just opened my door again. Hi, baby. Didn't mean to scare you.
0: I'm gonna cry. Allison is really not going to make it through this episode. Uh, (laughs) Alrighty. You're about to have to listen to me pronounce something really dumb.
1: Are you crying right now? (laughs) I'm a little misty, but I'll be okay. All right. My other
0: sources are... I see Sedwick.com article on the Mackenzie Poltergeist, a mental floss article t- called Greyfriars Kirkyard Ghostly History. That was probably where I got the most information from. It was a really great article. An Edinburgh Live article called The Notorious Edinburgh Poltergeist Leaves Graveyard. And two articles from the Spooky Isles called one, The First One, called Death by Ghosts in Edinburgh, and The Bloody George Mackenzie so those are my main that's that's it's spelled b-l-u-i-d-y i I was leaning in i was leaning in all right so those are my sources it was a great time allow me okay if you will (laughs) Mm -hmm. to set a scene for you within the old town of edinburgh lies a centuries-old parish church for the church of scotland called gray friars kirk the Unassuming Chapel has been welcoming parishers to worship every Sunday since 1620. Mm-hmm.
1: Visitors can
0: even attend now every Sunday at 11 a.m. if you're feeling plucky.
1: Oh. I-, I walked past that church. It looked creepy as fuck. Like, <laughs> I mean, it started being built in 1560, so like. Me too. Not impressive. I know. Fair enough. <laughs> I know.
0: But. <laughs> so. Like most churches in Scotland, Greyfriars Kirk is surrounded by a graveyard with stones dating back to its inception in 1560 AD. The graveyard is full of monuments, small and large, honoring the deceased residents of the area for many centuries. Most notably amongst these monuments, however, is an all-black, grim, towering Baroque mausoleum. It stands out in stark contrast to the well-maintained gravestones and greenery running alongside it. The decay is purposeful, as a mausoleum contains George Bloody Mackenzie, a man known for killing thousands of people in the name of the law. It's said that George continues to stalk the area, terrorizing any who dare to visit his graveyard, earning the parish the title of the most haunted graveyard in the world. Ooh. So, because I'm me, we're going to do a little bit of Scottish history. I can't wait. <laughs> So a little bit about Scottish history and George before we get into his posthumous terror. In the 1600s, Scotland, like many of its surrounding countries, was ravaged by religious conflict. There was the typical boring Catholic versus Protestant shit going on. But in Scotland, specifically, there was a group known as the Coventures who were protestants that were not big fans of the king controlling the church. Unsurprisingly, these people were violently persecuted and George Mackenzie, a judge and lord advocate of the area, was the biggest persecutor of them all. In 1679, after a bloody and failed attempt by the Covenanters to uprise, George rounded up the 1200 survivors of the uprising into a tiny area of the Grey Fires Kirkyard, now known as the Covenanter's Prison. He trapped the offenders in a makeshift jail with no real shelter, very little food, and no supplies in the middle of winter for four months. Mm. Hundreds died over the course of a few short weeks, and those that survived the brutal Scottish winter were hanged or sentenced to indentured servitude in America. What's worse is those who were sentenced to become slaves died in a shipwreck on the way to the New World. All those who died while still in Greyfriars were buried there in a mass grave historians have referred to this as the first concentration camp in europe like that's shit yeah holy shit several articles that i read referred to it as the oldest known like the earliest form of a concentration camp damn i know Mackenzie, who was the judge that sentenced these people and caused their death basically was a little fucker, and he continued to serve in office with absolutely no consequence for his actions, and died over twenty years later, and was interred in the previously mentioned creepy ass mausoleum, only a stone's throw away from the mass grave of his victims. Which is just, mm. as you can imagine, there's some tension a there. Shit storm for paranormal activities. Yeah, yeah,
1: I would imagine.
0: So about 100 years after George's death, a man named John Hayes took up residence inside George's mausoleum, which this will become a common thread of people trying to hang out in this mausoleum, which to me seems weird, but I guess in, in, in 16 or 1720, I don't know. I guess that was Different a Different time. Different time. So John was a petty thief hiding from the law and figured, hey, this place has a roof and doors. The bare minimum. That sounds great. Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, living in the mausoleum was not great. (laughs) Narrator, it was, in fact, not great. Not great. Yes. Yeah. Police finally caught up with John sneaking out at night to go steal food about six months after he took up residence in the graveyard. And when they caught him, he claimed that he had gone truly mad. He insisted that the coffins inside the mausoleum moved every night and that he could hear George's body tossing and scraping inside his coffin when it got dark.
1: John was taken to
0: jail and no written reports of paranormal activity popped up again until the turn of the century, five centuries later. Damn. So, I want you to just put a little pin in this. Mm -hmm. Mackenzie didn't start fucking with people unless somebody was inside his mausoleum. So just keep that keep that pinned here for me, if you will. Mm-hmm. Now, imagine with me for a minute that you are George. You are trying to be dead in peace, but the souls of the people you murdered are just bugging you and keeping you up all night. You're pissed that you had to get stuck next to this place and you can't just chill out. You're forced to listen to teenagers making out in your graveyard, listening to weirder and weirder music as the centuries go on. Then mm-hmm. suddenly... On one fateful winter day around the turn of the 21st century, you sense light again for the first time in almost 500 years. And you know it is now time to enact revenge. Even though you don't really have anything to enact revenge on because you're the murderer, but.
1: Sure, sure. For the
0: sake of the story, it's time to seek revenge,
1: okay? Okay, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So in December of 1998, a homeless man was caught in a winter storm wandering the streets of Edinburgh. Desperately hunting for any sort of reprieve from the storm, is this sounding familiar? The man staggered into Greyfarer's kirkyard and broke into one of the old mausoleums in the Coventer's prison section. Once inside, the man experienced total darkness. Using what little light came through the door, he decided to explore his surroundings. Unclear why. (laughs) Questionable decision-making here, in my opinion. Not to, like, narrate too hard here, but unclear why you'd want to do more than just be warm. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> My guess is seeking more warmth. The man removed an iron grate in the floor. Oh, fuck off. And descended a short, twisting stone staircase and entered a second chamber. Once below he came across a row of wooden coffins. Perhaps looking for valuables to steal, the man began to smash open the dusky caskets. Suddenly, the unfortunate intruder found himself falling. Only to land in a deep pit surrounded by decay. Despite being hundreds of years old, the pit had remained well sealed, and the corpses left there from illegal body dumping during the plague were far from skeletal. Surrounding the intruder on all sides, these semi-pet, putrefied and green, slime-covered carcasses oh. had sunken features, ragged clothing, matted hair, and emitted an overpowering stench. To absolutely no one's surprise, the man desperately fled the tomb, not stopping even when he cut his head on the tomb's entrance in his mad dash out of there. An on-duty security guard and his dog had heard screaming and retching coming from the Coventry's prison area of the graveyard. He searched the yard, trying to discover the source of the noise, when the dog and the security guard saw the homeless man sprinting towards them.
1: The sight of a bloody,
0: filthy, and bedraggled man charging out of a crypt in the middle of a stormy night was a bit too much for the guard, and both men fled separately into the night.
1: (laughs) The security guard- You go one way, I go the other. (laughs) Basically, dog will go in the middle. (laughs) None of my business. (laughs) Dog just, like, throws down his bones, like, I'm done with this shit.
0: I'm retiring. The security guard turned up for work the next day, related the tale of his terrifying encounter, and promptly handed in his notice. <laughs> yes, he dare enough. The homeless man, however, has never been heard from again, nor has anyone ever come forward to corroborate his story. Well, then how did they hear his story? Meaning that, like, the guard told his story, right. and then they've inferred based off of the evidence that, like the man left cuz like they found blood oh. on the like oh, inside got of it, the it, tomb. it, got it. Okay. they found this chamber all of this all and i guess that this this I, I don't have this written in here but some interesting flavor the pit that the man fell into historians did not know it existed so it actually uncovered like all of this stuff um like historical stuff from the plague and like this whole illegal body dumping thing that was very interesting so they were actually able to like do some history stuff about it but he did smash a bunch of caskets of like really old people so net neutral here (laughs)
1: Yeah. See, um, when I when I was uh, in a graveyard in the pouring rain, sideways rain in Scotland, I just sought shelter in a wine bar. That was my um, active way of sheltering myself. And I I know it's a different time. There wasn't probably a wine bar directly next to the cemetery he was in. If there was, it probably wasn't open. But I mean, at least I got to walk away with a really nice bottle of wine. And Mm -hmm, he mm -hmm, mm -hmm. had to deal with that for the rest of his life. He
0: had a minor head wound, was severely traumatized, enough that he's never spoken about it again. So good for him, I guess. hmm So since what I'm referring to as this catalyzing incident, no less than 140 people have collapsed near the tomb for no reason... 450 documented attacks are on record around the tomb. Visitors have recorded both hot and cold spots nearby, inexplicable bruises, scratches, and shoves by an unseen presence. People have reported having their hair pulled or their limbs grabbed roughly. One woman was even found unconscious with bruises around her neck. Dead animals turn up next to the mausoleum with no clear cause of death, and people have seen white figures and heard intense knocking coming from the site. Okay. Allison, how we
1: doing? (laughs) Uh, I am. I'm great. Can I go get my drink? Mm -hmm. I think it's done bubbling and I really want it right now. (laughs) Please go get your drink. It's bubbling a little bit, but like not nearly as bad. (laughs) It's so
0: cute. It just sounds like a little cartoon motor. (laughs) Just stick it on the floor and I don't think I'll be able to hear it. Oh yeah, that's fine. Okay. Yeah. All right. Now that you have your drink... Buckle in for the second half. So, in late 1999, when Allison and I were the ripe age of three, mm-hmm. a year after this famous zombie like incident, Colin Grant, a minister of a spiritualist church and owner of a clairvoyant shop in Edinburgh, stood in the Greyfriars Kirkyard and attempted to perform an exorcism. Everything about this screams bad idea to me, but I am not a clairvoyant, so.
1: Like, what was the need for that? Was he just trying to prove something? Oh, we're going to get into it.
0: Standing in front of a few members of the press, red flag number one, holding a single (laughs) candle, a cross to ward off evil spirits, and a Bible in his right hand, Colin took great efforts to cleanse the land and souls in the graveyard and stop the hauntings that had plagued them for the last eight months since the man came out of the crypt sure at the end of his exorcism of the land he claimed he had finally cast out the spirits that had been trapped in the graveyard for centuries a great shadow of a being was seen by specters at one point behind the exorcist a member of the press terry mcgordy who was present for the event recalled the incident saying quote the flashes were not pointing at the building so it is difficult to see how it could have been a shadow i'm usually skeptical about these things but i can't explain this at all end quote Grant also visited the area of the Coventry prison where Mackenzie's victim had died to investigate claims made by a local ghost research, John Andrew Henderson, that 49 people taking part of taking part in ghost walks of the Coventry's prison over the previous eight months had claimed to have had paranormal experiences. Many of the participants reported feeling that they were being watched or touched by something, and many claim that they came away with cuts and scratches on their faces. Angela Hamilton, one of these tourists, couldn't catch her breath while visiting one of the prison sales. She recalls the experience saying, quote, It felt as though there were a hand over my mouth. I couldn't see anything. Then I started to feel faint and the next thing I knew, I was away sitting on the ground. Everyone was asking if I was alright, but I was really confused. The next morning I woke up with a bruise on my left cheek and my neck. I couldn't believe it as I was not aware of hurting myself when I fainted. I I started feeling it must have been something to do with a ghost, end quote. A short two months after his exorcism, people started reporting encounters with Mackenzie again. The same month, not long after he expressed fears about his work killing him, Grant died from a heart attack while speaking to the spirit world during a seance at his clairvoyant shop down the road. Yeah, yeah. (laughs)
1: color me impressed. I feel like I'm just hurting Allison's feelings at this point. <laughs> no, it's good. I'm actually checking my heart rate right now. It's 101. But it's honestly, I think it's kind it's mostly just like funny right now at this point with this guy being like, I'm just going to completely solve this it's problem. It's literally, okay. So
0: for a little, for a little island of reprieve here for just a moment before I get to the next part, this is the ghost that J.K. Rowling based Peeves, the poltergeist, and Harry Potter on. She wrote the first book of Harry Potter a block away from the entrance to this graveyard. Okay. And has and has said that this is who Peeves is based
1: on. So take that for what you want. I would also like to put out into the universe that if she gets haunted by Mackenzie's poltergeist, I'm okay with that. Truly. Truly. The worst fucking
0: person. The work the worst oh god. Vomit. Anyway. So back into our story. These experiences that early tourists described have not halted in the slightest since Grant's death. An ex-police officer from the area recalled his tour experience in recent years, saying, quote, After the tour, I decided to go back to our hotel room. I was glancing at The Ghost That Haunted Itself, which is a book about the story of the Mackenzie Poltergeist by Jan Andrew Henderson, who I referenced earlier, when I felt a sharp burning sensation on the right-hand side of my neck. There were at least five deep scrapes that appeared just under my Adam's apple. On returning home the next morning, I went straight to my mother's house and told her my tale, along with handing her The Ghost That Haunted Itself, which I had decided I did not want in my home. Yesterday, I phoned her and asked her what she thought of the book. Remarkably, she was just examining five large scratches under her Adam's apple that were identical to my own. I am not the sort of individual who frightens easily, but hand on my heart, I am very frightened now. The phenomenon you have in that graveyard prison is very real." End quote. Ooh. (laughs) So are they, like, going inside the crypt, or they're just going into the graveyard? so they're going into the graveyard and then there's the section of the graveyard that is the like Coventry prison area. And the mausoleum is right outside of there. So they host ghost tours through the whole graveyard, but one of the stops is through this prison area and you can stop at the mausoleum. And from my understanding, the mausoleum is now sealed. You cannot go inside it, but you can go up to the steps. You can interact with it. Uh, I did read some reports about people going inside the main entry of it, but I've also read other reports that the city has had it closed. So the city having it closed was on a city website, so I'm taking that one as gospel because they've had a lot of people break into this mausoleum, particularly in the late 90s, early 2000s. They actually, I didn't feature this because I thought it was really shitty, but they actually had two teenagers break into the crypt in 2003 and like cut the heads off the bodies and like holy shit yeah it's there wasn't a ton oh of ghost God. activity related to those minors and so i didn't feature it because i was just like that's really shitty and the the guy falling into the pit seemed a little bit more interesting but like i think after that they sealed it up really heavily because i aside from like these kind of first hand accounts most of what i was reading was that the the actual like interior is locked Because people there's also like a plague pit inside at this point. So like, you know, some biohazard. I mean, I we have
1: no business being in there. No. Mm -hmm. Absolutely not one single Mm -hmm. ounce of business to be anywhere even near this thing. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. So, Blackheart Entertainment,
0: the company that runs the current ghost tours in the graveyard, keeps detailed records and photographs of the injuries sustained by visitors to the mausoleum and its surrounding area. I, in my research for this, looked at a lot of these pictures. And I will spare you, but a quick Google, should you decide later when you're feeling safer and interested, will yield a lot of these pictures, particularly the scratches across people's necks are gnarly people have also reported smelling the aroma of smelling salts and the powerful stench of sulfur while inexplicable laughing and growling have also been heard along with strange knocking sounds that seem to emanate from beneath ground level by the tomb one tour member reported quote we have not we had not been at the black mausoleum long when we started hearing knocking noises coming from beneath us, which steadily grew louder and seemed to move up and around the walls. End quote. Oh, Ooh, no. Oh, no. I'm on, I'm on my last story. I promise. Ooh. Jan Andrew Henderson, the foremost expert on the poltergeist in the area and the author of the main book on the subject, has said, quote, I am a very scientific person, and I don't know if I believe in ghosts or not, but I just don't have an explanation for the sheer number of people who have collapsed, had their fingers broken, or whatever. I've even had phone calls from two people who say their partner has now been committed and blamed it on the ghost. End quote. Oh my god. Mackenzie also seems to have a penchant for being a bit of a home wrecker. Residents living around the graveyard have reported inexplicable, inexplicable smashed plates, unexplained house fires and objects floating on their own. In October 2003, a large fire swept through both Jan Andrew Henderson's nearby home and the Blackheart Entertainment offices. Henderson says the fire, the cause of which insurance investigators could not identify, destroyed, quote, five years worth of letters, photographs, records, and statements concerning the McKenzie poltergeist, as well as every possession I had in the world. None of the surrounding properties were damaged, end quote. So Henderson, who spent... Years of his life researching this poltergeist had just his entire life burn up. So this is what prompted him to actually write the book that I referenced earlier. I guess that he had digital records of a lot of these things, but all the physical records were gone. And so he was able to still, like he wrote this book about his experience with the fire and everything. And, you know, a skeptic could sit here and say that he did it for the insurance money. I, who like a good story I'm leaning into the fact that it was the ghost, okay?
1: Yeah, the ghost really said, fuck you. Like, Truly. really. Truly. Like, destroyed his master's thesis, kind basically, of. Basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah.
0: So, this apparently wide-roaming poltergeist is also thought by some to be the cause of a number of malignant and odd activity in that other... Of Ed- and a few other of Edinburgh's infamously haunted locations, specifically the South Bridge vaults. People have felt pushes, scratches, and similar physical encounters there as they do around the tomb. I read one article that referenced the concept we've talked about several times surrounding residual hauntings, where a poltergeist can use energy lines connecting two places of intense grief to travel long distances. In this case, Mackenzie's victims were rounded up after their uprising at this bridge where people are experiencing his wrath away from the graveyard it's clear his wicked energy is feeding off the terror the land has held on to and he's able to travel between these two places fuck that and that my friend is the brief story of george bloody Mackenzie, perhaps one of the most well-documented and widely perceived spirits in the world
1: that's yes that was so good Oh, my God. That's so scary. I'm glad it's, like, really, really far away. Like, mm-hmm. that's a very long flight. I've done it. It's very far. <laughs> so. That's part of why I picked it, because I was like, I don't want one that's anywhere near me. <laughs> Fair enough. I, you know, like, but the more you think about it, like, it could definitely be him, but if they they really did put his body next to all of his victims, it's only, like, they could be responsible for some of that, too, because I would personally... Like, sit up in my grave and be like, excuse me? Mm -hmm. For real? And I would, like, throw Mm -hmm. a goddamn tantrum. So, like, a lot of these hauntings could be because of them, like, being disgruntled and, like, pissed because, like, Mm -hmm. that's fucked up. My theory is, is that they are
0: tormenting Mackenzie because he deserves it. And in retaliation, he is tormenting the physical beings walking the plane
1: like walking these
0: these places so um yeah some crazy crazy stuff um i don't just i don't know you can go on a ghost tour if we ever go to edinburgh together i'll go do it with you
1: yeah i wish i had more time there that's the city that i think i the the place that i would want to spend more time is in edinburgh i only had like a day and a half there Mm -hmm. so anyway good stuff um how you feeling?
0: How are we doing? Mid-podcast mid, mid podcast check-in, Allison. How's I'm how's nervous. your mental health right now? How's
1: my heart rate, too? Let's see. Mental health, so-and-so. I'm feeling a little bit less frazzled than when we first got on, which is good. It's 106 right now, which is not a normal resting heart rate, everybody. <laughs> uh, okay. Allison, you did this to yourself. Stop complaining. <sighs> okay. Sorry, I'm like staring at my story right now, and I'm like, n- I'm nervous. To t- I'm genuinely nervous to tell it now. Um... <sighs>
0: <sighs> cat's oh, well, I'm in gonna... the room with
1: you. It's okay. Yeah, I he's promise. acting fine. We're we're good. So, Jess, Allison, thank you for taking me on an amazing trip to Scotland. It was. Fun. It was. It was spooky. It was exciting. It was everything I wanted and more. I am going to take a hard U turn into something that's mostly just absolutely the worst. Um, <laughs> this is easily probably the most well documented haunting of a family in the world, and for with, with good reason. Um, Jess, Jess, uh, tonight I will be telling you about the Perrin family hauntings. And you know these people because they are the same family that inspired The Conjuring. Oh, I am
0: deeply familiar with these people.
1: Do you and know the story I, very well?
0: I do. Unfortunately, I do. I I have actually spent a lot of time reading about this story because I could not look away. It's, it's I, bad. You are so brave. Thank you. I would not have touched the story with a 10-foot pole.
1: <laughs> I shouldn't have. I mean, it's it's really interesting because it's most of my sources are from the daughter, Andrea Perrin, who is who has now, like, written about it extensively. I bought all three of her books, like, just to try to, like... I literally could not read them because I just didn't have the time, but I read a few and got a few stories from there. But, like, she's written a lot of detail about it, and she's... That's where we get most of our, like, firsthand accounts. Sorry, my legs are cramping because they're being folded under my body, but I don't want them touching the floor, so I'm not sure what to do. (sighs) Okay. Oh, God. If something grabs my ankle, I will just cease to exist. (laughs) My sources for this are, allthat'sinteresting.com oh, that's interesting, .com article by Katie Serena, a Rue Morgue article by William J. Wright, uh, Paranormal Witness uh, episode season four, episode 10. Two interviews with Andrea Perrin by 757 Paranormal on YouTube. And The End, That's Why We Drink, uh, episodes. It's actually where I first heard it. They covered it, and I really liked how they did it. They did it in two parts because it's so insane. I'm trying to do it in one, which is not great. Those are episodes 247 and 248. Okay, so I'm going to tell you about The Perrin Family Hauntings. And I'm going to start off with a quote by Andrea Perrin. I didn't really know where to put it in my story, but I think it's uh, important to start out this way. She mm-hmm, describes mm-hmm. a farmhouse they lived in as, quote, a portal cleverly disguised as a farmhouse. And there was no veil between the spirit world and the human world. And that's kind of what we're going to discuss. So, uh, <gasps> that being said. I felt... I felt
0: totally fine reading my story, and like I wrote, I like finished writing my story before dinner, and I felt fine the whole time. The moment you said their names, I like just feel disgusting.
1: <laughs> so I'm sure most of you have heard about the Perrin family, um, have either seen The Conjuring, or in the very least, I'm sure you have kind of have an idea of what it's about. It's one of the scariest movies ever made. And the fun thing about that is that it's actually not... They had to tone it down. They had to make Mm -hmm. it less scary so people wouldn't run out of the theater. So I'll get to that in a little bit. But it is one of the worst and most horrifying stories ever told on the big screen. And now I'm going to fucking talk about it because I decided that was a good idea. And now I'm too far in to go back. So, Jess... I'm so going to take Allison. you to one of the most haunted places in the world, the East Coast. I, I wish you wouldn't. <laughs> okay, In particular, Rhode Island. And it is a snowy morning in January 1971. Carolyn and Roger Perrin, along with their five daughters, all between the ages of 12 and 5, move into a large, historic, old farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island. It sits on 200 acres of beautiful land, a seemingly perfect place to raise a large family. Carolyn had seen an ad in the paper for this house, and immediately she knew that they had to have it. Without consulting her husband, she emptied their savings for the down payment the day she saw the ad. Roger was obviously, like what the fuck but like once he saw the house like he was like okay i guess i i guess i like it and the girls loved it so it was really perfect hey that's so much right hey that's so much red flag number 69 yeah the only hint of the hellish events to come was from mr kenyon the previous owner after the sale was final he warned roger the dad quote for the sake of your family leave the lights on at night The thing is, though, Jess, is the family had visited the farm dozens of times in the months before finalizing the purchase, and they never had any supernatural experiences. But the second the sale was final, on the day they moved in, the moment they walked in the door, activity immediately began. Andrea remembers walking into the house with a box of things. As she made her way to the kitchen to set the box down, she passed by Mr. Kenyon, who was packing up the last of his belongings. She said good morning to him and then turned and said good morning to the other man standing in the corner of the room watching Mr. Kenyon. She remembers, <laughs> she remembers him being dressed very strangely, and when she asked her mom who that man in the room with Mr. Kenyon was, her mom, of course said that there was nobody else at the farm other than their family and Mr. Kenyon. Jess has just, like, progressively shrunk out of the screen. She's like a little turtle. Oh, it's so so good. I'm just, by the time I'm done with this, you'll be completely out of your apartment.
0: (laughs) No, I cleanse
1: my apartment. It's safe here. (laughs) Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So her mom was like, whatever, it's just us here. Then... Andrea's sister, Christine, walks into the kitchen and asks, Mom, who's that man with Mr. Kenyon? The mother brushed this comment off as well and was just like, just go get more boxes. We're trying to move in. Hurry up. Then Cindy walks in and says the exact same thing. Then the girls would go on to see him often and they named him Manny because he's a man and they were young and that's the best they could do. (laughs) Um, He was apparently a very friendly spirit and they would always kind of see him standing in that corner. And after learning more about the house's previous owners, uh, they later concluded that the man was likely um, Johnny Arnold, who had passed away in the home from an overdose. So, so, so the parent girls Jeez. saw <laughs> continue saw other apparitions in the home that they also believed were other members of the Arnold family. They saw spirits walking down the halls, standing in the corners, and they even saw one ghost family that was staring at a wall as if it was a window, which is very interesting because if that's a residual haunting, that could have been a window and they could still be staring out of it. But to them, it looks like they're just staring at a wall. Sometimes, however, the ghosts would see them and look at the girls as though they were the spirits. So the girls would be looking into the past and these people would be looking into the future, essentially. Okay. I um, hate it so Yeah, much. I'm sure you do. The youngest girl, April, who was five, even made a friend with a little boy upstairs named Ollie, and they would play together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But as you can probably imagine, the problem wasn't with these ghosts. It, it turns out... That there were several other entities with more malicious intent in the home. And obviously that's what I'm going to fucking talk about because I am who I am. And also, since you know a lot about this, you can jump in at any time if you have things to add or if you have questions. I spent a very long time researching this. It was way bigger than I could have imagined. So, I do not claim any of this energy.
0: Not claiming it. Get away from me. Pushing yeah. Pushing this energy out. Listening with intent, but pushing this energy away from me. <laughs>
1: truly so one of these more malicious spirits took the form of a black cloud one morning eight-year-old cindy was running out of her bedroom to catch the school bus as she rounded the corner in the hallway she saw a black smoky mass pass through the cellar door and directly into her path she didn't have time to react and she slammed into it Upon impact, she smelled a repulsive stench and was frozen by the coldness of the mass. Her body started lurching forward and spasming violently. Then she began coughing convulsively. Cindy was finally able to break free from the blackness and run to join her sisters on the bus. This black mist is something that almost everybody who has ever lived or visited the home has seen, including Zach Bagans, who did a Halloween special... In that house. Of course. And they even had Andrea Perrin there as a guest and she kind of walked them through and was like, this was my room, stuff like that. The five girls soon found that the only way to get around the house was the buddy system. Whether they were using the bathroom or sleeping, they were never alone. (sighs) Andrea recalls. I literally hate this so much. (sighs) Fucking Andrea. Andrea recalls. Andrea was the 12 year old. She was the oldest, by the way. I can't remember if I said that. Andrea recalls her eight-year-old sister, Cindy, crawling into bed with her one night after they first moved in. Cindy said that she was scared because she was hearing voices in her room. She described it as one voice made up of many voices all speaking in unison. When she tried to cover her ears with a pillow to block them out, the voices kept getting louder and louder, saying the same thing over and over. The voices were saying, there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall there are seven dead soldiers buried in the wall. The voices didn't stop until she got out of her bed and ran to Andrea's room. And I will say, when I first heard that, I thought they were talking about the walls of the house because mm-hmm. that, that that's what I immediately thought of. But being in Rhode Island, in that area, in New England, there are also stone walls in that area that date back to like the Revolutionary War. Mm -hmm. And I, like, worked at Miniman National Historical Park for a summer as an intern, and I learned all about the Revolutionary War, and, like, there are a bunch of these, like, stone walls all around all the properties. And when soldiers, especially British soldiers, when they would die, they would oftentimes just bury the soldiers where they fell because the colonists, like, didn't give a shit. They were like, we hate you, and their British soldiers, they were far away from home, so they couldn't be taken home. So they would just be buried on the spot where they died. So it it would make sense to me if they meant this as there are seven dead soldiers buried within these stone walls surrounding the property. So that is one thing that I am that I am adding because I would really much rather not. Um. Anyway, so poor Cindy. She's the one who like hid the black mass, had all that happen. She was also dragged down the hallway by a spirit of an old woman who wanted Great. to take her to the cellar. In another Great. instance, during a game of hide and seek, and do you remember in The Conjuring they played that like, hide and clap game? Yes. Yeah, which is like the worst thing of all time. Yeah, yeah, so it was the worst. And so they would actually play that in the house, and they would play hide and seek a lot. And this one time, oh, God, Cindy went into the cellar to hide, And climbed into an old wooden box with a lid, but there was no latch. Like, there was, it was just a lid. There was nothing to, like, lock the box. When she got in, the lid slammed down, trapping her inside. She could not open it because something on the other side was pushing the lid down. She would have suffocated had her sisters not found her when they did. And... Actually, that also happened I couldn't this story was already getting too long, so I couldn't put it in here, but that also happened to one of the other girls where she was trapped inside of her mom's antique trunk. but the way mm-hmm. this happened was this girl was taking a nap and she she all of a sudden woke up but she was frozen and couldn't open her eyes and then her mother said to her, "Get in the box," and she was lifted off the bed and placed in the box and had the lid shut. And it wasn't until the entire family who were all in the kitchen making lunch looked around, were like, "Where? Th- where is she? They went looking for her, that they found her in this trunk. And again, shouldn't have been able to lock, but did. And they got her out. When they found her, she was like on the brink of death. Like she had like breathed all the oxygen in there. Like she was sweating, like she was hyperventilating. It was like, she was in really bad shape. And when her mother came in she was like, why would you do that to me? And her mom was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I was making sandwiches in the kitchen. And so the spirit basically took the form of her mother, mother's voice. And the thing is, the mother called that trunk the antique trunk. But the spirit talking in her mother's voice called it the box. So there's that weird, creepy difference of it was obviously something nope. pretending to be her. Oh, dear God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, there were other times where something would happen and people would be screaming, the girls would be screaming for help, but like nobody could hear them. And that's when they named that phenomena the bubble. So, basically, what that meant was that there was something happening. If something was happening to one person, Basically, they would be trapped in this bubble where sound could not escape. So if you were screaming for help and somebody was the room over, they would not be able to hear you and you would be stuck with it. And you would not sometimes you would not be able to hear conversations happening right next to you. And they they call that phenomenon the bubble. And these are all, again, mostly stories that happened to the girls. <sighs> but the person that was targeted the most was the mother, Carolyn. It started out small. She would notice that the broom went missing or seemed to move from place to place on its own. She would hear the sound of something scraping against the kettle in the kitchen when there was no one in there. She'd find small piles of dirt in the center of a newly cleaned kitchen floor. Then she started smelling putrid smells like rotting flesh and sulfur, which are notoriously associated with demons. Then she began being tormented. swarms of enormous black flies. And remember, this is in the middle of winter. Like, they moved Mm -hmm. in in a literal blizzard in January. Like, there is no reason for there to be flies there. Like, there would be so many flies. They were, like, swarming and they were, like, clogging up, like, windowsills and, like, blocking out light, like, flying around their heads. And, like, they were almost impossible to kill. And the way they would move, it seemed, like, intelligent. Like, they were purposefully targeting her and teasing her. And... They even had an exterminator come to the house twice, and each time he came, obviously he didn't find any flies, and he didn't find anywhere in the house that they could be breeding, so... Ick. Yeah. And I heard on on the... And that's why we drink podcast, M said, and I couldn't find the same source that they found this on, but they said that the fly problem stopped. The, the second that the family started collectively talking about their experiences, all the flies like... Dropped dead to the floor. Mm. Lorraine later, Lorraine Warren later described the fly, the flies as an omen of what's to come. And them acknowledging that kind of meant the fly series was over. So mm. because that thing was starting to happen, which Thank is God. the worst thing of all time. <laughs> so one night, Andrea had a horrible dream. In her dream, she was standing in the corner of her parents' bedroom and noticed there was something else in there with them. It was the apparition of a woman with a broken neck, and in place of where her hands should be were sticks. And this woman was looming over Carolyn, and she was chanting something. This is what she was saying. Was mistress once before you came and mistress here, I'll be anon. We'll drive you out with fiery broom. will drive you mad with death and gloom. Remind me so that I never want to live in Rhode Island. And like Connecticut too, Massachusetts, all those places have funky energy. So Carolyn was horrified. She was grabbing her husband's hair as he lay next to her, shaking his head, desperate for him to wake up. But he wouldn't. She thought he was dead. And she remembers thinking that she was next. And again, Andrea is watching all of this happen in a dream. So she's still in the corner watching this and she's paralyzed with fear. She she looked at her father sleeping next to her mother and said that it looked as if he'd been attacked by a wild animal. Like he had scratches and scrapes all over his body and, and he wasn't moving. He was not waking up. Then the woman with the broken neck looked away from Carolyn and directly at Andrea and started approaching her. Thankfully, she woke up before the woman got to her. And the next morning, Andrea went downstairs and found her mother frantically drawing something. It was a sketch of exactly what Andrea had seen in her dream that night. A woman with a broken neck and sticks for hands. Andrea asked her mom to tell her the truth. Did what she saw in the dream really happen? And her mother said that, yes, it really had. And to make matters worse, Roger, the dad, woke up to find bloody scratches down his back. Oh, God. And just to warn everybody, because I was not aware of this, and I want all of you to be aware of this, if you choose. In one of the um, seven o or 747 or 707 paranormal videos of one of the interviews with... Andrea, as she's describing this story, she's literally describing this woman with a broken neck and stick for hands. And at exactly 34 minutes and eight seconds into this interview, there is this enormous burst of static. It is so fucking loud. And Jess, I almost died. Like, my heart skipped at least a hundred beats because it was, it was like at the scariest part in the story, this big burst of static. Anyway, and the comments were really funny of other people being like, Thanks for the warning. That was the worst. Anyway, so if you guys choose to watch that interview, 34 minutes and 8 seconds, you just turn it down because I wish someone had told me. Learn from my mistakes. So are we going to acknowledge the two bursts of static that have happened since you started your story? Jess. <laughs> Jess, you're joking, right? <laughs> Jess? I- I- What? I mean, it could just be that you were really
0: loud in the microphone. (laughs) Just make sure you edit this podcast upstairs
1: (laughs) when the time comes. No, I I do. I don't. I don't. I don't. I'm I'm never in my room unless I'm sleeping or it's nighttime. I'm always up. Okay. Okay. Well, I fuck off, Jess. Ugh. (laughs) I wonder if you'll be able to hear that in the audio, or if that was just a micro or like a headphone issue. I'm
0: hoping that it's just a headphone issue. It's just a headphone issue. These headphones are these headphones are old. That's
1: all. I literally hate that so much. I was like feeling okay and now I'm not anymore. <laughs> um So, Carolyn and Roger's room, I f- was notoriously What the fuck just happened to you? What was that? Just what happened? Why aren't you speaking? <laughs> what happened? <laughs> These headphones are
0: old enough that they like flake and there was a little black flake on my shirt, but
1: I thought it was a fly and then it fell into my lap. <laughs> it is just a headphone <laughs> flake. So you thought it was a big black fly? An omen? Well, lo- cause
0: I saw it in the camera and it was like black right here, and then I like went to brush it and then it like fell into my lap and I was oh, like
1: that's the worst. That's
0: okay. It's well, a head it's a headphone okay. flake. Great. I touched
1: it. <clears throat> Please. Well, You better get new headphones next time we record because this is absolutely unacceptable. I'm shitting my pants. (sighs) Okay. So, all right. Coming back to the story here. um, Carolyn saw that woman with the broken neck and six for hands hovering above her. Sure. Didn't forget that, did we? (laughs) No. And (laughs) another similar instance occurred. Sure. Carolyn awoke in the middle of the night to the smell of smoke. Surrounding her bed were several tall men with torches, like uh, like staff torches, like they were torches, but they were like, what do you call them? Like tiki torches? They kind of, but they definitely weren't tiki torches. But like they were tall torches, basically. So, yeah, more so menacing there were vibe. Several men. <laughs> it wasn't. This wasn't a luau. Okay. So there were several men all standing around her bed with torches and then a woman, not the woman with the broken neck, approached and stood in front of her, in front of Carolyn at the foot of her bed. The men started rhythmically banging the torches on the ground and the woman started chanting something Carolyn couldn't understand. Then the woman reached out and stabbed Carolyn in the leg with something like a needle Carolyn threw the blanket off her to look at her leg. And when she looked up again, they were gone. And Carolyn and other in interviews did say that, like, it sounded like she was chanting a curse and being stabbed in the leg where she was and when she was cursed her. Because after this, her health started seriously deteriorating. She was always covered in bruises and scratches. And Andrea said, Andrea said that, She looked as if she had aged decades before their eyes and become sick and frail. No matter how many logs she put on the fire, she was always freezing cold. She wasn't eating and she was barely sleeping. It was obvious Carolyn, the mother, was posing some kind of threat to the spirit. And that spirit was targeting her and draining her of all energy and life. So, so she, she didn't know what to do. And. So she started just researching the history of the home, just trying to find any answers. It turned out that eight generations of the Arnold family lived and died in that house before they bought it. The town's public records reveal that over the course of its existence, the property had seen two suicides by hanging in the attic, one suicide by poison, uh, ugh, uh, trigger warning, the rape and murder of 11-year-old Prudence Arnold by a farmhand. Two drownings of children in the creek behind the house and the passing of four men who froze to death one winter while taking shelter underneath the barn. And a partridge in a pear tree. So. (sighs) Mm -hmm. And a partridge in a pear
0: tree is right.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So just get this. One of the children who drowned in the creek behind the home was a little boy named Oliver Arnold, who was lovingly nicknamed Ollie. And remember how I told you the five-year-old girl said that she played with a little boy upstairs named Ollie? Well, mm-hmm. there you have it. Need I say more? Nope. There was one person, in particular Jess, who caught Carolyn's interest. Her name was Bathsheba Sherman, and she lived during the 1800s. She didn't officially live on the farm, but I think she lived adjacent to it. But either way, she did spend a lot of time in the farmhouse. The town records and newspapers indicate that Bathsheba was a Satan worshiper and practiced witchcraft. One night, Bathsheba was looking after a baby in the farmhouse. It is said that she took a needle and drove it into the baby's skull, killing it as a sacrifice. So, The official coroner's report stated that the cause of the baby's death was, in fact, being stabbed with a needle. So, they were able to confirm this. Bathsheba went on, and I don't think she was ever, like, charged for this. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I don't think they could prove it or something. But Bathsheba went on to have four children, all of whom would never make it past infancy. So... The town spun this into something as, like, her being a child murderer and a satanic worshiper, and they treated her as such until the day she died of a stroke in 1889 at the age of 75. So, she has since been portrayed this way in all retellings, but it's entirely possible that she was innocent, that, you know, children died in the 1800s a lot more frequently than they die now. Of just like getting sick, like, anything. So it's it's possible this shouldn't have anything to do with their deaths, but the town was very much convinced that she was an evil woman. Also, Bathsheba is like the creepiest name of all time. Yeah, it's, that like, is the not- worst, most horrible fucking name. Like, I thought they just made that up in The Conjuring, because I was like, that's, like, the the most perfect name for a witch. Of course, her name was Bathsheba, but it's legit. Like, they literally- there was literally a woman, and they found her grave just five miles away from the farm. Dear God. And, anyway... She, She really fucked the energy on this farm up. Oh, she sure did. I mean, she wasn't the only one, so... But, either way, even if she wasn't actually at fault for these killings... I'm sure that the anger and the hatred towards the townspeople that, like, had – would have manifested into something. So, mm-hmm. I'm sure because of Bathsheba, there's something there, and I'll tell you why. So, so people think that the broken neck apparition who is saying those, like, tw- I was mistress once and you, 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 blah, 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 is Bathsheba, but Andrea disagrees. So, Bathsheba died of a stroke, and this woman – That we were speaking of had a broken neck, so that doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And also, the way that this woman was speaking is entirely, like, outdated, even in the 1800s. Like, she was saying, like, twas and ye and all that stuff, which was, like... That's, like, 1600s. Like, that's, like, Shakespeare's era.
0: She sounds like she's from Roanoke, or whatever the fuck (laughs) it's called.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Andrea thinks that the evil spirit in the home torturing Carolyn was actually Mrs. John Arnold the wife of the original owner who knows maybe she's mad because nobody knows her first name but hey what do i know so the the house itself began construction in the 1600s and was it was completed in the 1700s so the original owners lived on the farm in the 1600s and I, she would have died there in the early 1700s and the thing is is that she is known to have taken her own life by hanging In the attic. Um. So. um, (laughs) It's probably her. If the shoe fits. Yeah. Or the stick hands, I guess. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't don't know if her feet are made of sticks too, so maybe shoes are a sensitive subject. Um, (laughs) All right, moving hard past that. Oh, but also I did want to say that. Again, there were easily... (laughs) Jess is weeping. There were easily multiple dark spirits in the home. So even if it wasn't Bathsheba that was floating above her, I'm fairly certain, and most other people are too, that it was Bathsheba that stabbed Carolyn with a needle and was, like, cursing her. Because remember, Bathsheba killed a baby with a needle. And Carolyn describes being stabbed in the leg with something like a needle. So I'll let you do the math on that.
0: So, dude... Carolyn just came into this house like I think this house is so fun it's gonna be a great place for my daughters and the other women in this house in history past was like no I'm not sharing
1: Mm -hmm. like is Carolyn a bitch (laughs) I don't know honestly like she was obviously like the, the spirit was obviously just threatened by Carolyn's presence and I don't know why, but by all accounts, Carolyn was a wonderful mother, and the way she was depicted in the film, like, trying to kill her baby was absolutely not, not it. That's not what, at all what happened. Like, she never physically threatened the children at all, from what I know. Um, So eventually, the parents found an ad for a group of paranormal investigators, and to keep this from getting too long, I'll just say they came in, they had experiences, and eventually, Ed and Lorraine Warren heard about the hauntings, and they literally just came up and knocked on the door one day. For those of you that don't know, Ed and Lorraine Warren are a famous paranormal couple uh, in the 1900s. Ed's a demonologist. Lorraine is a psychic medium. Basically, they would go into a home. Lorraine would, i like, communicate with the spirits, and Ed would, I don't know, maybe probably, like, identify them and figure out how to get rid of them. Like, they were just, like, this little tag team. And, argue, and the most famous paranormal investigator in, in investigators in history. So, anyway, they just go knock, knock, knock in on this door. And, you know, the girls open it up. They have no idea who these people are. They did not announce that they were coming. And they were like, what the fuck? And they were like, Can we come in and, like, talk to your mother or something? And so, the second Lorraine Warren stepped through the threshold of that farmhouse she was physically affected and then she said this quote i sense a malignant spirit in this house and her name is bathsheba okay so and again that's just not a name you pull out of your ass no anyway so carolyn obviously like shat a brick she was like how the hell do you know that and so ed and lorraine were like listen, we want to perform a seance, and Roger, the husband, was, like, super against the idea, but they, they went through it with it anyway. The night of the seance, the five girls were banished to the top floor, but, of course, being that age and knowing something juicy is happening downstairs, they were, like, banished my ass, and Andrea and Cindy snuck downstairs and watched through a crack in the door. So they ended up seeing everything that happened. So it was Ed and Lorraine Warren, Carolyn, and a medium Lorraine had invited. So the four of them, they all gather around the table and held hands. And Roger was just watching from across the room. They asked the spirit to come forward and tell them what is troubling it. Roger recalls that not even two minutes into the seance, the table started violently shaking. Andrea and Cindy watched through a crack in the door, said that the whole house started to tremble. Then the table lifted up off the floor by at least a foot, hovered there for a minute, then boom, it slammed back down. Andrea says that her mother started caving into herself like her head was just hanging limp in front of her body. And then shit really hit the fan because it gets worse. It gets worse. Okay, So Carolyn's body started to lift off the chair and contort in unnatural ways. She started making guttural sounds, and the girls watched as their mother's face became unrecognizable and twisted out of shape. Eventually, she did fall back limp in the chair, and then, after a moment of pause she shot backwards. Her and the chair shot backwards. And then her body flipped upside down and she landed on her head. Like, they all heard her skull hit the floor. Like, that's how bad it was. Like, she hit it hard. And so Roger ran over to her and tried to wake her up, but she was unresponsive. And so they all thought that she was dead. And, so roger yells at the warrens you killed her you killed her get out get the hell out of my house so he kicks them out and they fucking leave and he's just left sitting on the floor with his like presumably dead wife laying in front of him so he starts grabbing her and shaking her and screaming you come back to me you don't leave us don't leave your children The girls, again, are watching this, and they run over to their parents, sobbing, and they start begging their mother to come back. Then, Carolyn's eyes start to flutter open, and that's when they knew that she was going to make it. Carolyn later said that it was the pull of her children that got her through it, and she probably wouldn't have survived without them being there. (sighs) Dear God. So... The Warrens did make a few more appearances over the next few years, but even Lorraine Warren in recent years has admitted that the second her and Ed walked through the door, they were in over their heads, but they just didn't know it. And that's, like, them admitting that. That's insane. And so, and Jess, this kind of harkens back to what you were saying of, like, Carolyn was so confident that this was her home, right? Right. And arguably, right now, it seems like it's the worst thing she could have done was purchasing this house. But the one thing that I find fascinating is that they were absolutely destined to buy this house. In the months before Carolyn even saw the ad for the farmhouse in the paper, the family got a new puppy, and Carolyn insisted her name be Bathsheba. (gasps) Dead ass. Like, Fuck. Okay,
0: my jaw is on the floor. I
1: know, I know. Okay, so she insisted they named her Bathsheba. And the girls were like, okay, what the fuck kind of name is that where that come from? So they just they just called her Sheba because or the, it, I guess the other alternative was just calling her bath or something. <laughs> it was just a weird name. Um, and so on the night that Carolyn saw the ad for the farmhouse in Harrisville, She immediately called the realtor. It was 10 o'clock at night. It was like, this is so rude. This is not something you do. But she picked up the phone and called them and said that they would buy it. She immediately emptied their entire savings for the down payment. And in the months following, everything fell into place for the purchase. The owners before them, the Kenyans, even dropped the selling price by $5,000 so the parents could afford to buy it. And just $5,000 back then is almost forty thousand dollars in today's money oh my god like they were basically handing this thing over to them on a silver platter and i guess okay. now we know why question for you the people who owned it previously were they related to the arnold's or was this a different okay. family right right, right. so okay, i meant to say that so it was only owned by two families previous like before them so it was the arnold's for like hundreds of years and then okay. i think the kenyans bought it and then The parents bought it, but I I think that the Kenyans only lived there for a little bit. I don't think they lived there enough to, like, raise kids and have a family, but I, I couldn't really find much on that. But, yeah, no, that's a good question. So what is really interesting is that the realtor eventually revealed that when Carolyn saw the ad, it had just been posted that day. Not only that, for the other three months that the ad ran in the newspapers, not one other person called and asked about the home. That is insane. There is, there was no, nobody else was interested. And which is completely it, for that house, like other people would be interested. Like they had paid for it a lot amount of time in the newspaper. And well, and anyway. like the
0: land and the pond, like it's a, it's a hot property. And it's a
1: historical home too. Like a lot of people, like it, yeah. It, it, it's a, by all means, it's a wonderful place, supposedly. So the family lived there for almost 10 years. And ten years, guys, <sighs> cut your loss, cut your losses, man. But that's the thing: is they put everything they owned and had into this house. They couldn't even afford it, but they still bought it. So, like, they couldn't afford to leave; like, they were stuck there. But finally, Roger was able to sell the place, and that he was able to get his family out of there. Carolyn describes how much better she felt. Just the second they were driving away from that home for the last time, she said that she could not stop smiling. Oh, my God. Okay. And I am wrapping up here. But just a fun fact about The Conjuring movie script, like I said, it was originally made to be as accurate as possible, but the writers were told that it was too scary and they had to tone it down or people would run out of the theater, which blows my mind. The Conjuring is a scary movie. (sighs) It is. It really is. Oh my gosh. Okay. Andrea spent seven years of her life writing her three books, House of Darkness, House of Light, which were all published in 2011. They have stories from everyone in her family, and it's basically a memoir for all of them. So you guys should definitely go and read those if you want to learn more. Because again, this, I tried to cover 10 years of encounters in what, like 40 minutes? Like there's just no way. So, and that, Is just a sliver of the story of the parent family hauntings, aka the conjuring family.
0: (sighs) Thank you so much for that. That was really fun. I appreciate all the hard work that you put into that. That was really great.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it was it. Thank you. (laughs)
0: Damn. (laughs) Yeah. That's some. I will not be going to Rhode Island anytime soon, I'll be I'll be frank.
1: I I feel the same way, honestly. Uh, that whole place, like I say, like the house that I lived in when I was in Massachusetts in Concord like was we lived directly across the street from a battlefield. Like yeah. literally there were actually seven soldiers buried in that battlefield alone. And we just lived right across from it. It was insane anyway. But yeah, talk about childhood trauma. Mhm. Mhm. Um my
0: favorite sort thing about the people who played Warren and Lorraine the guy who plays Warren in the movies. So Ed and Lorraine Warren, so it's Ed. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. My sorry. My, my apologies. The guy who plays Ed in the Conjuring movies now hosts a television game show called lego masters that i love no way deeply really <laughs> i'm gonna go watch one when i get off the, get lego off the podcast with you oh that's awesome may i
1: 10 out of 10 recommend it's on hulu it's great <laughs> awesome also oh. i just sent you a photo of the real life parent sisters with the girls that played them in the movie and we will post this on our instagram as well oh that's so cute oh my gosh and apparently Aww. April, the who was the youngest sister, she actually passed away recently from an accidental overdose. Like, she had prescribed fentanyl patches for a surgery she just got, and it, yeah, it killed her. It's really sad, but. Oh, the Renesmee yeah. baby's on this show. Wait, what? Oh, my God, she is. Oh, she, yeah.
0: <laughs>
1: oh, Dude, God. talk about a jump scare. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's funny. All I just—I want to watch it again just to see Joey King. She's so good. But yeah, I also don't want to watch it again because literally, fuck, fuck, fuck that. Truly, truly. So I do not accept any of the energy of any of the things we talked tonight. I um, <laughs> don't want any of it in my house nope. or in my room. I don't want to be angry things opening doors and knocking while I'm in the shower and vulnerable. And I don't like it. So anyway, we... We don't fuck with
0: this. Ugh. well Allison, this concludes our long form spooky podcasts series for Halloween. How do you feel?
1: Grateful it's over a little bit. <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. Like I'm I uh, I'm ready to not feel this terrified. So.
0: I am gonna write you the most modern pop culture themed podcast when I am back in December. It's gonna be so delightful
1: no ghost content what are you even gonna do who knows um i guess that's also important to mention um so actually next week will be your stories for hauntings Um, So we have a link in our bio. Mm -hmm. We will be
0: doing our listener stories. So if you have not already, head over to our Instagram to fill that out, or you can check the show notes and Spotify and go there and give us your spooky stories. That will be coming out on Halloween as a special episode. But then after that, we are back to programming as usual with one kind of fun exception, I guess, depending on how you think about it. I am taking a month off. And Allison is being joined by a guest and longtime friend of the pod, Kate, cousin Kate. <laughs> mm-hmm, cousin Kate. It's gonna be it's gonna be really fun yeah. for you guys. I am sad I am gonna be on a lot of work trips in November, and so I just am not gonna have time to record. But Kate has graciously agreed to come on and be a guest host,
1: and I'm just excited to listen to what you guys come up with. <laughs> no me too it, it's gonna be fun it's obviously not gonna be the same like we're gonna miss you but um i'll be excited to have you back but it'll it'll still be fun to see what yeah what we talk about because she's already thrown out a few good ideas for some episodes so i'm excited love that <sighs> anyway guys i hope you sleep well tonight i'm not sure i will I, i'm gonna have to go and watch like a lot of bob's burgers to mm-hmm. get over this so mm-hmm. yeah yep 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 cool well we'll see you, all you right, next Jess, week I- Yeah, 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 sure, definitely, definitely. All right, well, happy Halloween. Happy Halloween, guys. Okay, bye. (sighs) Oh, yeah, bye.